You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right, welcome to Why We Do What We Do. This is Abraham. And your co-host, Ryan O. Welcome to your favorite consumable psychology podcast. Perfect. Okay, so some quick housekeeping items before we jump into today's discussion. First is I'd like to shout out to a listener, is Isabeau, I think, I hope I'm saying that correctly, who wrote in and pointed out that some of our episodes were no longer appearing in our RSS feed. So on iTunes and Google Play and a few other places, basically it was only 100 episodes at a time. And so everything prior to where we currently are at in our episode list just wasn't showing up. So I think episode one through 30 was just completely missing or something. Yeah, now they're all there. We figured out there's a settings issue. So we are good up until 300 episodes. And we'll have a solution (laughs) identified after we hit that 300 episode mark. The other housekeeping thing is we have a survey that's been active for a while, listener survey. We want to get to know you better, what it is that you like about this, what you maybe don't like about it, any suggestions, critique, feedback, things like that. What we're doing is everybody who submits, we're going to send some stickers in the mail. If you want to leave us an email, we can get your email address or sorry, your physical mailing address and send that off to you. You can also just do this anonymously. Helps us just make the podcast better. So if you have a few seconds to go check that out, it is linked in the description. We are closing that officially in January. Yeah, end of January. Yeah, the end of January. And we're going to officially send a couple lucky randomly selected winners a t-shirt of the podcast. We're, We're in concept phase making a few things there. So you'll get to snag one of those. So go check it out. Help us out. Makes it better. You can be anonymous or you can tell us who you are. It's totally up to you. Yeah, good point that it's a why we do what we do t-shirt and not just some random t-shirt that we (laughs) found at a secondhand store or something. So, all right, cool. Ready to jump into our topic then? Yes, let's do this. All right. So, Ryan, what do you think of when you hear someone use the term going berserk? I think of somebody that taps into this like state of rage and destruction to the point that is it ends up in this like apocalyptic scene of everything is just like in rubbles and smoking and just like like this charred landscape around them like it's just destroyed everything okay i don't know if that's what it's supposed to be but for whatever reason (laughs) that's what i think of when i think of going berserk okay that's a bit more extreme than what i always thought of was just someone who was basically out of control so imagining someone who is upset and maybe overreacting or reacting very violently and in the extreme to some situation to the point where they maybe are breaking things but at least seem to have a a pretty severe reaction to something and so we might say that person's going berserk not necessarily that they were ending the entire planet but they, (laughs) they were maybe out of control in their in their reaction to that situation and probably in a way that was aggressive angry and violent now have you heard or had you heard of the idea of a berserker when it came to war and battles. I have not heard of this. And upon researching and learning more from you, it seems like this is definitely where this term came from before it was talked about in a general, I guess, more pop psychology sort of way. Yeah, (laughs) sort of just, how how do I describe someone who's being a little crazy or say they're going berserk? So yeah, today we're talking about the psychology of these people called berserkers, or at least what we know and, and what historians believe that we know about these berserkers and what those people are. So we'll explain what berserkers are, what they were, theories of why they quote unquote went berserk, 
And then some of the controversy regarding some of the myths about berserkers and the explanations for their behavior. All right. So Abraham, kick us off with the background. What's going on here? Okay. Yeah. So the earliest source that I found in looking through who was writing about berserkers and where the descriptions of them came from was the evidence of this came from the writing of a historian, a Roman historian named Tacitus. I think that's how you would say that in the first century CE. And so Tacitus described these sort of mystical warrior tribes in northern Germany, who he called these berserkers or who are described as berserkers and described them being these really aggressive people. And it's important to note when I mentioned that he said that they were in these tribes in Germany, back at the time that he was writing this, and especially at the time that there would have been berserkers, the borders for countries as being sort of nations weren't super clearly defined. And so oftentimes you would see that there were people who are necessarily, they were more loyal to sort of their, their king or their leader and whatever city state that they were in, but there wasn't necessarily a sense of like national identity and where those borders existed wasn't necessarily agreed upon or written down or chartered or anything at that point. It wasn't consistently designated. And there's actually some speculation as to whether they ever really existed, but most sources seem to agree that they probably did. Because this was recorded after the fact, and it seems like a lot of the information about these berserkers was derived from sort of the stories that people wrote back then, uh, there were some that have pointed out maybe those were just stories about maybe people who were good in battle but didn't do anything that much different from others. But mostly anymore, what I found in doing the research for this is that a lot of the historians seem to think, yeah, there probably were some berserkers. And just going back in history, it seems like if there were these berserker people, and again, most historians and scholars seem to think that there probably were, they seem to have been active during the first century CE through about 1050 CE. So, you know, roughly 1800 to 1900 years ago, sort of rounding up. So these largely Scandinavian warriors fought for kings, although they seem to live a somewhat marauder-like lifestyle in these small tribes. Now, the word berserk likely stems from this Old Norse word, I'm going to spell it B-E-R, ber, meaning bear, B-E-A-R. Right, not bear as in B-A-R-E. Yes, and serker, S-E-R-K-R, meaning shirt. So translated loosely as bear shirt. And then again, that's bear, B-E-A-R, like the animal. Now this is because they were described as entering battle completely naked, except for wearing some bear skin pelts. So no armor, no chainmail, no helmets, and only little shields and their weapons in their hands. Now there were other similar wolf skin tribes and boar skin tribes, boar as in the pig, right? Yeah, (laughs) B-O-A-R. But they were all described similarly in how they approached battle. Yeah, not boars and B-O-R-E or boring (laughs) boring skin tribes. (laughs) Yeah, so essentially these were all similar sort of berserker style in their description in terms of how they went into battles. But specifically, the word berserk seems to be referenced only to the tribes that were wearing the bear skin, even though it would be descriptive behaviors of them of pretty much everybody who did those similar things, who went into battle. Now, one thing that is consistently reported and almost as consistently described as being apocryphal is how these berserkers worked up into a frenzy. Okay, So virtually every source that we found described this sort of process by which these berserkers would sort of, I don't know, start from maybe a neutral 
state of mind and eventually build up to this really hyped up and and ready for battle craziness and they often described consistently described that what would happen is that the berserkers would start with sort of a shiver as if they were cold their teeth would chatter in a similar way and for some reason in every single source anywhere that i looked there was a description of them biting their shield and even one of those sources pointed out that there's really no direct evidence that this happened i mean they very well could have we just don't know but everybody seems to think that they would bite their shield for some reason as part of their getting psyched to go into battle they described that their face would turn really red and they would sort of swell up and then eventually turn purple like they were freaking out basically and that this whole process would escalate and crescendo into this uncontrollable rage and that they would then rush into battle in this frenzy often howling like animals and just flailing their sword or weapon about all over the place do you think they squealed like pigs, the boar folks? I hope so. <laughs> <They're> like, we. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So historians describe that they would kill anyone who got in their way, friend or foe. The historians wouldn't kill anyone. The berserkers would. Berserkers, yes. <laughs> which, <laughs> which, while valuable, also made them tricky to wrangle. We saw one source that stated that kings may not have liked them very much because they were so difficult to control and might even kill members of the army that they were fighting for. Right. So I saw some of these descriptions talking about how they might use them in battle. And what they were hypothesizing is that the leader of that army would probably put the berserkers kind of way out in front of everybody else because they didn't want them to like charge forward into their army. And they didn't want them to be too close to their own own soldiers and do damage to them. And so they'd be this little ragtag group of people who are running around screaming their faces off and throwing their swords about. And they, they would be sort of the first charge in front of the phalanx as they went in, into battle. I even read, so as you mentioned, that they, they might kill like fellow soldiers, the army that they were fighting for. I read one story, and I don't, I don't know how true this really is of this of these berserkers actually killing the king that they were fighting for because they were too close to him and and just weren't and just were doing their berserker thing so yeah, just going berserk yeah <laughs> so part of their mythology also claimed that they were immune to pain and would battle at maximum energy for hours without seeming to wince from the wounds that they had earned the descriptions often just talk about how they seemed not only that they seemed really like they didn't seem bothered by getting cut or injured. They just pushed through it, but also that they seemed like they were almost impossibly strong and could just, you know, do all these feats of strength that a normal person shouldn't be able to do. And the historians wrote that the berserkers wore their animal pelts of the specific animals, depending on their tribe. Remember in the belief that they embodied the spirit of these animals of choice and thus acquire somehow that animal's strength and power. Although, again, there seems to be little evidence of this. And I also saw some that mentioned that they maybe even drank the blood of these animals that they were embodying. I saw some people wrote that they potentially, these berserkers would try and live as those animals would. So I don't know if they were trying to hibernate like bears and like eat honey and, <laughs> and stuff like that, <laughs> eat flowers, maybe that they would try and behave similar again. That seems like that's entirely speculation. There doesn't seem to be any actual record of that being the case, but yeah, that they sort of had these spirit animals that they were embodying that they're trying to acquire and demonstrate the, the strength and power of those animals. 
as I described earlier, Berserkers seemed to not really participate very much in society and in kingdoms, but instead, mostly it was described that they lived in these small tribes and that they likely hunted and foraged for food as well as marauding and raiding nearby villages to obtain the things that they needed. I also saw some descriptions that they may have practiced these sort of ritualistic and mystical traditions that were almost religious in nature. They had all of these, I don't know, sort of cultural practices that belonged to their tribe around things like war and life and that and death, I'm sure. They had all of these rituals around where they would bury them and whatnot. But again, a lot of this really seems like it was speculated without very much evidence and is just kind of part of the myth of the berserker and not necessarily based on records. It's entirely possible they did live in these societies, but they were just normal people in those societies, so there wasn't a record of them being a berserker until they were out on the battlefield. We just don't know. All right, and then lastly, after battle, the berserkers would be completely drained, mentally and physically, it's reported, and they'd rest a few days seemingly unresponsive to this normal discourse. I mean, as you can imagine, if you were just fighting for your life nonstop for hours and maybe days on end, that you would just be so fatigued, you'd basically collapse and just sleep. I forgot to include, and as I was preparing the notes for this, but there were some descriptions that the berserkers would be almost childlike, just speaking in very simple sentences and, you know, not super complex thoughts or anything. So you'd basically come up to one of these berserkers after a battle and be like, food, go pee pee. <laughs> And I'm just making that up, but you know that they would be just so out of it after and just kind of not really responsive to people after, after they had done, which I mean, I think I would too. I'm, right. I'm not even really a physically fit, a very physically fit person. And even if I was, I don't know that I wouldn't be fatigued after hours of that kind of energy expenditure. I sometimes wonder, like, fit today's fitness, I don't think is the same fit as back then either, right? <laughs> that's, that's a good point, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's transition a little bit. There is this drug theory. Can you describe that? Yeah, there was some explanation or some people who proposed or thought maybe that the reason that berserkers were able to resist pain, were able to go for as long as they were going, were able to have the sort of increased strength, was that they were on some kind of drugs. And it's important to note, I, you know, I guess they're thinking maybe that they were on this early PCP and were just going nuts out on the, on the battlefield. This idea of them being on drugs wasn't proposed until, at least the source that I found suggested it wasn't proposed until 1784. And this is long after the end of the Berserkers. And there was this priest named either Odeman or maybe Oddman. I like Oddman. That, that seems like a, a good suspicious description of this person. So, Priest Oddman, maybe Father Oddman, hypothesized that the cause of the rage-fueled madness of the Berserkers was due to having consumed a particular hallucinogenic mushroom, and the specific mushroom he proposed was called the Amanita muscaria, or the, the fly agaric mushroom. Now, again, apparently his hypothesis was based on information that Siberian shamans had used this mushroom for rituals. And I'm not sure how he then drew the link from that to the berserkers, but he also had the rationale that the mushroom can cause one's face to sort of go red and get this temporary burst in sort of responsiveness and energy. It is a hallucinogenic mushroom, so like there was also that. Maybe there was a little bit of fear of drugs embedded 
in his hypothesis. But yeah, I think the, the major point here is just that he just sort of suspected that that was the case. And for some reason, this has been, people have picked up and run with this ever since. And so basically anywhere you look in a description about berserkers, you will see some, I guess, hypothesis. You'll see someone mention the fact that they were taking drugs and then rushing into battle. And that's what was going on with them. But that might not be the case. Yeah, and many scholars refute this now for a few different reasons. First, the mushroom would not have grown very well in that part of the world at that time and would have been very difficult to come by. Second, it is poisonous and known for causing apathy and depression along with its hallucinations. And third, it's mentioned nowhere in the descriptions of berserkers by their contemporary writers. And lastly, there isn't really any evidence. It was just speculated by a priest over 700 years after the fact. Yeah, I mean, I think the first point there is almost the deal breaker by itself is that it was difficult for them to get these mushrooms. Now, obviously, that that could be a thing. But then the fact that these mushrooms seem to cause apathy and depression is basically the exact opposite of how one would describe a berserker. So it just didn't really fit the bill all that well anymore. Alternatively, there were a lot of suggestions that people proposed to try and explain how this berserker thing happened and so some suggested that there were people who were just genetically predisposed toward high pain tolerance and a tendency toward violence so they were just like well it's just in your genes you're gonna be a crazy person alternatively there were some proposals that they were having seizures now i don't think that they were proposing they had seizures while on the battlefields because they wouldn't be very effective as soldiers if that was the case Possibly what they meant by saying that they had seizures was that they had a seizure disorder, which meant which maybe left them somewhat brain impaired and therefore maybe more reactive and violent. There were others that proposed that they went into this trance-like state. This is often in reference to the idea that they had these sort of mystical rituals, so maybe they almost hypnotized themselves into the state. And then finally... I saw some suggestions, many actually, this is almost as oftenly suggested as the mushrooms, that they were just like massively intoxicated with alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) They they were just slamming handles of hardcore booze before running onto the battlefield. And now, I mean, I think you can appreciate that there's some amount of logic to that idea. I mean, if you think about the fact that they are belligerent, they aren't responding very much to pain, which is certainly something that has been demonstrated by people who are massively intoxicated, and that they seemed just a a general lack of fear going on. But some other things don't make a lot of sense. First of all, like, where are they getting all of this alcohol? And why aren't they just stopping to pee every 30 seconds while they're on the battlefield that they are? And Another one is that when you have people who are severely drunk, they aren't known for their wonderful coordination, and they're supposed to be these really, really good fighters. So, you know, if they're really drunk going out on the battlefield, they I would imagine they probably wouldn't last all that long, even being super belligerent and, and crazed in their appearance, because they would make so many mistakes in their fighting. At least that would that would make rational sense to me. So, I don't know that there's a lot of evidence for... The seizure disorder or the alcohol, it's possible they were in a trance-like state, which we'll describe in a moment. And then also, I don't know that there's a lot of evidence to suggest that genes can cause that level of pain tolerance. Well, in pain tolerance, potentially, there are people who just don't, they're not as sensitive to pain. But a tendency toward violence just has not really been demonstrated to be something that's that easily attributed to genes specifically. So 
I don't, I don't know how useful those ideas are. And then a recent paper suggests that it was a flower called henbane that was also poisonous, but known to grow abundantly like a weed in the region that berserkers would have been active. This henbane is described by having these effects of causing memory loss, rage-like behaviors, altered consciousness, delirium, and increased strength. All right, so some other things to consider about the mushrooms that I forgot to mention before were was that they, they seem to cause people to be pretty nauseous and sick that would last for several days. And the symptoms that those berserkers were showing post-battle seemed to be more consistent with just general fatigue and with anything that was more associated with that than with being poisoned necessarily. And so it, it seems like this henbane is a more likely candidate. Uh, they also found henbane scenes in, on the grave of some soldier or something like that. This is all in this peer-reviewed paper that I found. So there does seem to be better evidence for henbane than for the mushrooms, which were kind of just speculated on. And then people ran with it because it was popular, I guess. Not to mention another alternative is that there could be that there were no drugs at all. <laughs> period yeah i mean it really could have just been that they were they sort of worked themselves up into this this momentum of behavior that it just looked like it was crazy and maybe even got exaggerated by the stories you know so let's take a critical look at this now i think that we can just layer on this discussion what else we understand about behavior that would potentially provide some hypotheses and explanations for what was going on again sort of psychologically for these berserkers and the first one here is that some historians wrote that their nakedness was likely kind of like a weapon. And specifically that these sort of berserker behaviors were shaped up over time, that there's sort of a reward by the reaction from their enemies as sort of maybe what was going on. And essentially what they suspect was going on is that if someone shows so much personal disregard for their own personal safety by running into battle, for example, nearly naked. And then also then that means that for the enemy, they're perceiving them as someone who's likely to be very unpredictable and to make tremendous personal sacrifice to kill another person. So there's sort of like a, a sort of kamikaze effect here. They're, they're coming in like, I'm just going to do whatever it takes to win this and regardless of what happens to me. And therefore their nakedness or their lack of armor, at least may have really inspired fear in the enemy because the enemy sees this crazed person screaming their head off, swinging their weapon around wildly, killing everyone around them, and potentially even including their friends, showing no concern for their pain, demonstrating no concern for their safety by wearing just a shirt, and seemingly maybe impossibly strong, or just seeming at least stronger than you would expect them to be. And so the enemy at this point, seeing this person doing this, may have tried to avoid them, or flee altogether, or maybe have been so disenfranchised or afraid of them that they just didn't fight very well and so that maybe is something that was going on now of course eventually there were times when both sides had berserkers at which point they probably just mostly killed each other but that yeah that idea of their lack of concern may have i guess sort of disturbed the people that they were charging to the point that they were like well this person's like they, they mean business here and so they were already put in a place of not being as good of a fighter against that enemy so, with that said, the context created for the enemy, what kind of psychological context was created for the berserker just by going into battle naked, Abraham? Right. Now, at this point, again, we have to speculate a little bit, but just understanding what could be going on for someone in this situation. And I think it is reasonable to suspect that if they went into battle not wearing any armor, 
then even if they were all hyped up, maybe they were drunk or on some kind of drug or whatever, at least under some, in some way, they likely accepted their own mortality and had prepared themselves to be ready and willing to die in battle. Meaning that, truly, I would expect that their experience of pain and safety would seem relatively inconsequential. They've already decided, I'm going to go into battle with nothing but a shirt on. And that means that there's a pretty good chance I'm going to die. And so at that point, it's kind of all or nothing. You've got everything to lose and, and you're likely to, you know, so it's just take as many people down with you as you can. Furthermore, for many people entering a context, just generally for people entering a context of really extreme conditions that require rapid, dangerous, high stakes situations where you're extremely stressed out and you're responding that has caused people to experience like memory loss of that event or at least details of the event which is to say that the cues of that situation verbal or otherwise don't actually evoke any kind of response of having learned anything from the situation or even really even having participated in that event which is to say that they're just they're operating at such a high level of intensity that they're they're not really learning anything they're just doing and so there's not a lot of processing going on beyond just get through the situation. And I think finally, understanding that really high level performers who perform at that level of intensity, they sometimes describe this sort of flow-like state of almost being unaware of their surroundings and their own behavior. And they create this, this high output when they're engaged in these really intense and really fluent behaviors, such as, you know, running really fast and throwing their sword or their spear around or whatever they're doing. Those could be some reasons that you also see some of this sort of berserker like performance out of these people. And then lastly, let's also consider that if they were that worked up, that they were likely experiencing a rush of endorphins, hormones, and other neurochemical interactions that would seriously alter that person's normal reaction to the world. Yeah. I mean, thinking about there's something going on, potentially at sort of a hormone or a, you know endorphin like level on top of the fact they may have been on drugs on top of the fact that they've created this context where they have nothing to lose that you know they've nothing but to try and survive because they've made it so difficult yeah. for themselves to do so on top of the fact that they were scaring the pee out of their enemies as they're as they're <laughs> running toward them in battle during a time where we had absolutely no way to measure any of this that's true and we're now completely speculative right. <laughs> right throughout this entire episode as to like what may have happened <laughs> right we don't even we're not even 100 percent sure that these people existed and we're trying to like explain their behavior as if they did so <laughs> taking it all with a grain of salt mostly i thought this would be such an interesting topic because of the idea of people creating this context of like running into battle nearly naked potentially on drugs and and like that seemed like a really interesting thing to explore so Going berserkers <laughs> yeah they're going berserk like my microphone cutting out so many times that i almost went berserk on my microphone <laughs> yeah uh, during this recording so <laughs> all right so take home points this one's pretty simple they were probably real i mean yeah that's most of the historians seem to believe so i would think but the extent to which they really tapped into this or what that looked like who knows <laughs> it's one of those things kind of lost in history right yeah i will say i think Another take-home point here is that if there were berserkers and they did behave the way that they were described, they probably weren't on this Amanita muscaria mushroom. If they were on anything, it may have been that henbane, but they also may have been on nothing at all. 
And so that I think is a, a useful point to consider given some of the lore that has sprung up around, or the, I guess the myths that have sprung up around these berserkers. If people want to learn more about this, do you have any recommendations? Oh yeah. So there's many, uh, many links that I put in the show notes for this one. You can find out some more information. This article that I found, which is the, in the journal of ethnopharmacology called sagas of the Solanacea, speculative ethnobotanical perspectives on the berserk, something like that was the, was the title of that. And that was published fairly recently. So that would be a good one to check out. And then there was also this museum article from a museum in Denmark that had some cool descriptions of some of the berserkers. But any of the, the links that I put in the, in the show notes will be some good ones to check out. All right. So any closing comments? Yeah. So a couple of things. First, I want to shout out to Justin Greenhouse for his fantastic editing and work on all these episodes. Thanks for all of your audio engineering help. And then also shout out to Katie Miller at the University of, of Nebraska Medical Center. I was fortunate to just get to meet her this week and found out that she was a listener of ours and she was super helpful in getting my dissertation completed. Um, so she, uh, just a shout out to her as a listener and thanks for your help. Yay, Dr. Abraham. <laughs> and then, all right, cool. So now we're going to jump to a segment that we've started doing called recommendations. Recommendations. This time I'm going to recommend a board game that I just got for those people who don't know me at all, which is most of you. <laughs> I think I've talked about it on the show before, though. I really enjoy board games tremendously. And I got this new board game called Reavers of Midgard. And I actually thought this would be a good recommendation because the Reavers of Midgard is sort of themed after Vikings in a way. And so it seemed appropriate for this discussion. But very, very well done board game. It's sort of a worker placement game in a way where essentially there's so many actions that you can take in a given round and you try and strategically collect resources that you can take other actions later and there's some of that going on and it, the theme is really cool the art is really cool the game is just extremely well designed published by gray fox games so i would highly recommend reavers of midgard and then i didn't want to necessarily throw in two recommendations but because of when this is coming out and actually when i'm recording it more than anything i'm also going to recommend getting a flu shot so go go get your flu shot, everybody. <laughs> it's a little late for that by the time this is published, but that's that's my recommendation. Yeah, I don't have the flu, but I'm like struggling through a cold and such. I should probably listen to something like that sooner. So I have a recommendation, which is a YouTube channel called Vlog Brothers. It's Hank and John Green. They have been OG YouTubers since the early days. I think the channel originally started out as the two of them vowed to only communicate through a video form for an entire year wow so they would upload different days of the week so it always starts with you know good morning hank or good morning john and then i'll see you on whatever day because that's how they communicated for a year it's morphed into a lot of really cool things and what i would say is super cool that i just saw them do is they've raised over 1.2 or 1.3 million dollars over this past weekend while we're recording purely to donate for good causes so they're a cool channel cool information i actually they are responsible for Crash Course, so Crash Course Psychology, all those Crash Course series. Yeah, yeah, those are great. That originally kind of had us interested in creating podcasts ourselves. So it's got some personal roots, I guess, as to like why we do what we do in creating content and such. So yeah, check them out. Vlog Brothers is the main channel. They have their own separate channels, and they just do a lot of really good things because of their success on the internet. I've actually gotten to meet Hank before myself in person at PodCon, and he was like, just like he is 
on the videos and super nice, kind, respectable, listening, all the good things of qualities of humans. So <laughs> I like to think that they are who they are on the internet in real life, which is just super cool when you meet people like that. Yeah, those are, I haven't watched the Vlogbrothers, but uh, the, the Crash Course videos are great. We should uh, definitely tag them in social media when we publish this episode. For sure. All right. Anything else, Abraham? I think that's it. Thank you for recording with me. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you'd like to support us, check us out on Patreon or tell a friend. Leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. We love hearing from you. If you are a berserker or if you know anyone who is or if you have any stories about Vikings (laughs) that you'd like to share with us, then please contact us at info at podcast or reach reach out to us on any of the social media platforms. All right. With that said, this is Ryan O. This is Abraham. We're out. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.